Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Gastola. I'm a co-host of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rania Kalik. Welcome, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And we're very pleased to have Alan McLeod, who is here. He's a senior staff writer for Mint Press News. Welcome, Alan. Hey, guys. How are you? Very pleased to be with you. And uh, we're going to talk with you about all the fine work, the excellent work that you've been doing, looking at the social media companies and uh, the influence of intelligence agencies over them or the revolving door. Uh, we see a lot of uh, spooks who are taking up positions at uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google. And uh, you've also done some work recently as well on these fact-checking companies or these fact-checking organizations that are that we're led to believe are independent. So... Uh, since your fact-checking work is is newer, um, uh, and you've also had a lot of time to talk with people about the influence of the CIA and uh, some of the FBI agents working at these agencies, well, let's come back to it. Um, I want to start by asking you about the report that you did on fact-checking. So you've got this. This was up in the first week in August. Uh, most of the fact-checking organizations that Facebook uses in Ukraine being directly funded by Washington. Uh, people can find that report over at Mint Press News, uh, mintpressnews.com. And so why don't you just kind of like set this up for us. Let us know what some of these organizations are and, uh, you know, what, what, why this is such an important thing. I mean, I mean, that's kind of like self-explanatory, but I mean, give people the, the illustrate the dynamic for us of what's really happening among these fact-checking organizations. Sure. Well, I suppose the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, the fighting has been very bloody with thousands of people killed. But at the same time as that's happening, there's also an information war which is going on and it's just as vicious. And of course, there's loads of claims and counterclaims getting put out there. And a big company like Facebook does need to do something about that. And so a few months ago, they announced that they were partnering with nine fact-checking organizations around Eastern Europe uh, to moderate and curate what sort of uh, news goes viral on Ukraine and what gets suppressed as fake news. Um, they've got an interactive map on the Meta website you can have a look at. Um, but as with all of these things, I always want to know who pays the piper. And I really wanted to know a bit more about these organizations, which are suddenly going to have this huge effect on world politics. Because, of course, you said, you know, what's the impact? What, why is this important? Facebook is by far, far and away the most important news source around the world. Around 3 billion people use Facebook every month for news, which means that something like 40% of the entire world's population uh, is dependent on their news feeds. And that gives Facebook an enormous amount of leverage and influence to um, influence uh, world debates, to push certain ideas, to block other ones. And there's really no media organization which has ever had that sort of power. It's pretty easy what I did. I simply just took the nine names and started looking at their About Us section or in their uh, grants databases or research or whatever. And I found that most of them, five of them, are openly taking money from the U.S. government, either from the embassy itself in whatever country they're in or from the National Endowment for Democracy, the NED, 
And that's particularly worrying because the NED was set up by the Reagan administration in the 1980s as a front group for the CIA. It was pretty much explicitly um, labeled as such. What happened in the 1970s was that the CIA uh, was the subject of a number of scandals and a lot of... Um, a lot of the American public began started talking about and even organizing to abolish it. And so the NED was really set up as a sort of semi-private group that would do the, a lot of the CIA's most controversial work, specifically in funding foreign political parties or trying to overthrow uh, foreign governments. The NED has been involved in uh, coup attempts in Venezuela or Cuba. It's very big in Nicaragua and Belarus. And um, they've got a very long and checkered history. Um, so yeah, five of these groups uh, are indeed sponsored by the NED or by the US government, but that doesn't mean the other four are actually in the clear either. Um, I found a lot of um, evidence to suggest that quite a few of these other groups are also funded by uh, the United States, but they're just not explicitly saying it on their website. For instance, a Lithuanian group called Patty Quinta 15 Minutes. When you start looking at who funds them, they say, for instance, they say sponsors of Patakrinta 15 Minutes cannot be political parties, politicians, state organizations, or companies linked to politicians. However, they do accept uh, grant funding from the Pointer Institute of the United States and specifically the um, international fact-checking network that they've set up. And all nine of these groups are actually on, on the international fact-checking network's team of like reliable sources. But the problem with that is that the Pointer Institute and the Fact Checking Network itself is being funded by the National Endowment for Democracy. So again, we've got this you know, circular loop, which all roads lead back to the CIA and Langley, Virginia. And when you look at like Patty Printer, for instance, um, you'll see that in the NED database, there's a $78,000 grant, which says that uh, they're giving this to the Pointer Institute, uh, basically to train Lithuanian fact checking networks uh, in, um, in you know, sorting through what's right and what's wrong. And so ultimately, this clearly seems like that, that group is also being funded uh, by the NED only through a conduit. And there are other groups on that list uh, who were who not being specifically funded by the US, but were being funded, for instance, by the Dutch government or by the British government or by the German government, who on this issue are basically absolutely toe-to-toe shoulder to shoulder with the US. And so what we've got is a situation where there are all of these uh, fact-checking groups which are are being trusted, are being you know held up as the moral arbiters of what is true and what is false and making decisions which affect hundreds of millions of people, in fact billions of people on Facebook. And yet when you start digging into who they are, how they were trained, etc., it all starts uh, coming back to Washington, D.C., which means that the United States has this sort of second and third hand uh, influence in actually controlling the world's media. And a lot of people are not aware of that. Yeah, I just want to note, like, there's this crazy article I saw in the New York Times. This is like related to what you're talking about, but it kind of goes beyond what we're already used to. There was this crazy, crazy article in the New York Times about basically accusing Russian media of brainwashing people in the Middle East and Latin America, and that's why they don't care about Ukraine. Um, The article is like, basically, I'm just going to quote something from the article because it was so interesting. While many languages are used on Facebook, more than 80% of its enforcement resources are in English. And then quoting an expert 
Quote, I think that's a form of bigotry that the rest of the world should not be protected from the worst, most dangerous content in ways that English speaking users should be. And I'm just like, it's bigotry not to censor in other languages. It's interesting. I guess that's not happening quite as much yet. But the, what you're talking about with Eastern Europe, like, could change that. But can you maybe, like, walk people through? Okay, yes. So there's all of this connection between the revolving door between, like, people who work for intelligence agencies, then working for these weird sort of, like, U.S. or government-backed organizations that are then, like, telling Facebook, advising Facebook on what constitutes disinformation. So what's the implication of that? What what why should we care about that? Why is that so bad? Well, I mean, <clears throat> that means that we're basically living in a state where the by far, far and away, the most important media outlets in the world, big social media like Twitter, like Facebook, etc., are actually being essentially controlled by um, US government funded third parties, which means this is state censorship on an absolutely global level. This really constitutes a national security issue for every other country in the world except the United States. And even if you're in the United States, do you really want people who are more or less US government officials deciding what you see and what you don't see online? This has had an absolutely huge effect on alternative media. So for instance, with all the sort of Russiagate hysteria that really started building in 2016 and 2017, Google changed its search uh, traffic um, algorithm. Overnight, what happened was really high quality alternative media sites uh, saw their traffic absolutely crater. So Alternet, for instance, lost 63% of its uh, Google search traffic overnight, never to come back. Even places like Democracy Now! lost 36% of its Google traffic. And Mint Press News lost even more than Alternet, something close to 90%. And that really means that we are being wiped off of the face of the internet. And for a lot of people, that literally means that um, their uh, businesses, their media outlets are not sustainable anymore. So really, this is an attack on free speech and on alternative media. And it is just absolutely brazen that this is going on. I mean, some of these fact checkers are, you know, really pretty much obviously in the pay of the US government and doing their bidding. I mean, one of them fact checked Georgia, for instance, has the crest of the NED and of the US Embassy on every single page of its website. And we're supposed to believe that this is some sort of neutral organization that's going to just call balls and strikes and tell it like it is. No, this is part of a US government attempt to try to re-tighten their grip over the means of communication that they lost in the 2000s and the early 2010s with the rise of the internet. And so if anybody believes in free speech or an open society or uh, uh, like a uh, diverse opinions being allowed to be aired and reach some sort of audience, they should be very concerned about what's happening right now. All right. So I have a clip that you pulled that you shared on Twitter of Nina Jankowitz, who was the head of this failed uh, disinformation board that was going to be part of the Homeland Security Department. And uh, we'll play it, and then you can explain it to our listeners and viewers. But essentially, uh, she was with this organization called Stop Fake, uh, or Stop Fake News, and or Stop, yeah, that kind of a thing. And uh, here, it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. But I will just preface by giving my own observation that uh, it's pretty wooden, and it, it almost seems to be mimicking some of the worst Russian Russia Today broadcasts that 
like I used to see when I would follow their studio or, or actually when I would do news hits with their people, like some of their anchors, like Liz wall were like absolutely terrible at delivering these news updates. And I mean, she's, she delivers this like a total bot. When Russia annexed Crimea in 2014 and Russian-supported militants launched an armed conflict in the industrial Donbass region, the Ukrainian army was completely decimated with an insignificant number of poorly equipped battle-ready troops. Volunteer battalions organized throughout the country and they supported weak Ukrainian armed forces and prevented further Russian separatist encroachment. Today, the volunteer battalions are part of the official Ukrainian armed forces overseen by the defense and interior ministries. The volunteer movement in Ukraine extends far beyond military service. Volunteer groups are active in supporting Ukraine's military with food, clothing, medicine, and post-battle rehabilitation, as well as working actively with the nearly 2 million internal refugees displaced by the war in Ukraine. That's an Azov battalion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, Nina Yankovic, as you said, she was going to be Biden's uh, truth czar at this new Ministry of Truth, which is what people called it, whereby the government would essentially come in and decide fact from fiction online. Uh, it did get shut down very quickly, mostly because of uh, right-wing pressure uh, over a lot of the demonstrably false statements she made about Hunter Biden, which is all right. But a lot of people didn't really pick up on some of her worst lies. And those worst lies were when she was working for this group Stop Fake, which is one of the nine organizations on that list that Facebook is now partnering with. And of course, Stop Fake is indeed uh, funded by uh, the US government, by the Atlantic Council, which is NATO's think tank. In that clip there, she is literally whitewashing Nazism. She was talking about these volunteer battalions coming in and basically being do-gooders, you know, handing out food, sweets to babies, etc. And on the, uh, on the clip, you actually see the image of which volunteer battalion she's talking about. She's talking about the Azov Battalion. She's talking about IDAR. She's talking about C-14. These groups are avowedly neo-Nazi. For instance, C-14, the 14 in their name, literally is a reference to the 14 words, which I don't even want to say because the algorithm will probably zap us, but it's a well-known white nationalist slogan talking about how they have to you know, secure a future for the white race. And Stop Fake has gone to bat so often for the far right in Ukraine that a lot of people started looking into their links to Nazism itself. In fact, it's very well known that they have very close links with the Nazi movement in Ukraine, which they constantly say doesn't exist or is massively overblown. They absolutely, they constantly label things like, you know, Al Jazeera or NBC news reports talking about an upsurge in anti-Semitism as being, quote, fake news. And uh, yeah, um, the New York Times even did a long in investigation. This was before the Ukraine war. I don't think they publish it now. But they did this long investigation into Stop Fake and its ties to the Nazi movement. And they came about this close to actually calling it a Nazi organization itself. So this is the sort of this is the caliber of group that the United States government is partnering with and the International Fact Checking Network is partnering with to decide what is true and what is not online. And of course, you might remember that a few months ago, Facebook made the decision to allow praise of Nazi groups in Ukraine and to allow 
for the killing of Russians on that platform. Now, it seems quite likely that Stop Fake was involved in that decision, but neither Facebook nor Stop Fake has actually come forward to deny or accept that that's true. So ultimately, we're just left in this limbo. But it is frankly extraordinary that a group like this that does such shady and such uh, low quality work is actually being trusted uh, for an entire region of the world to decide what is true and what is false. And of course, you're just talking mostly about Facebook, but this extends, and you mentioned Google, but like this extends to every social media giant, like YouTube, uh, Twitter. I mean, Twitter, not to make this about me, but my Twitter account has literally not grown for like a year, like at all. It's just stuck. Um, and that's not, that's weird. Like I, I used to grow pretty regularly and it just stopped. And I mean, I'm pretty sure there's also like out al this like algorithm, this is basically algorithmic suppression because what they do is like, instead of just taking people offline completely, which they do sometimes, they just like put you in some weird shadow box where no one can see you. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of these other social media outlets and like who's advising them? And also maybe speak a bit about this algorithmic suppression and why that's almost like worse than just the blatant censorship. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it is worse in so many ways, Rania, because it means that uh, people like us are not really getting off our butts and starting social media uh, organizations and, uh, and uh, platforms ourselves, because we're kind of trapped on this place whereby everybody is on Facebook, everybody is on Twitter, so we need to be there. But we are constantly fighting this extremely difficult uphill battle to even get seen because, of course, there are no billionaires funding people like us. So we don't just get, you know, handed a blank check for advertising on Facebook, like someone like Ben Shapiro or these, mm -hmm. you know, right wing to far right wing figures get. Um, we're not going to be spending $8,000 a day on advertising like a lot of them are doing. Um, so instead, we're kind of stuck in this situation where our videos or our content is never actually shared with uh, anybody who is not already subscribed. So we can't really grow. And that means that this is having an enormous effect on the public sphere, whereby the only sort of challenge to this neoliberal hell that we're in, which is slowly rotting away our uh, democracy, our society, is this far right one. And that's what people are going to hear, because immediately if you go on YouTube, you're going to be uh, suggested a Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or whoever, you know, I often say it's, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than it is to get YouTube to stop recommending you uh, Ben Shapiro videos. It's absolutely absurd, <laughs> but that's just how it is. So yeah, it's very difficult to make a career now in alternative media because we're getting zapped by Google, we're getting zapped by every single um, social media group. And there is a reason for that. And again, I went looking because Every time there's a controversial decision about who gets banned or what content is now allowed, it's very difficult to actually find out who is making these decisions because Facebook and Google and Twitter don't exactly, you know, have pages where they say, this is our staff, this is the team, this is what they're actually doing. I wasn't able to find it until I actually went on um, LinkedIn and other uh, social media uh, sites that are really geared towards professionals. And the minute you start doing that and you start looking for the you know, head of safety of Google or somebody who's in content moderation in Facebook, you start, you know, your hair starts uh, rising. Because the sort of people they're getting in 
it seems that half of them are ex-CIA or ex-FBI or uh, yeah, ex-NSA. There are so many people now. If you just type in something like CIA Google into LinkedIn, you will probably find more than 100 different people coming up, most of whom are totally relevant, who have made the jump from Langley, Virginia in the CIA and are now working in the halls of power in Facebook or Google, deciding things. These people are not working in you know, politically neutral fields like sales or marketing or customer service. They're working in trust and safety. They're working in cybersecurity. They're working in content moderation, which has a direct influence on what billions of people, everybody in fact, sees in their news feeds, sees in their social media feeds. And they are having an enormous effect on actually being able to construct reality themselves. It is uh, quite an extraordinary thing. And it is uh, very scary at the same time specifically because nobody even knows this is going on. Yeah. So uh, one of those people who you have introduced us all to, and we're really fortunate for uh, your digging. And as you say, it's actually very easy, but I find that that's a common statement for journalists in the world today has been true uh, for at least the last five to 10 years. That There's many people out there who just don't, think to do this basic work that is actually very easy in order to cobble together stories. You know, sometimes I've done this stuff by just combing through legal filings that nobody has bothered to look at. There's all kinds of information available. And I think you're doing a form of journalism that is actually something that independent journalists can do with very limited resources. But a lot of people don't realize how much power they have if they would just take a moment to cobble that uh, information together for people, make it digestible so that they can understand something really important like this. And so you found a clip of this individual. And since we're talking about it in the context, I'll I'll go ahead and just reveal that this person is CIA. Um, but you you played this clip of, of Aaron. Uh, Aaron is a CIA and his last name is Berman. Aaron. Oh, and by the way, I was on LinkedIn before we did this broadcast, and maybe you've gone back and looked at the individuals who have now scrubbed their information or made it so that you can only look at them as like generic LinkedIn members now. Um, there's a oh, number there's a number <laughs> of people who you've named that I believe you can't look at their pages anymore and it just says LinkedIn member. And actually Aaron went back and you just know that he's a LinkedIn member. You can't access the public profile for him anymore. And so anyways, he's in this clip. I did cut it just because I didn't feel like it was important to listen to him wax on about legislation because I don't really feel like there's any like legitimacy or genuineness to what he's discussing there. But the lead up to it is interesting and it's worth talking about because he does mention transparency and uh and there is very very little of that if there's even any transparency at facebook so let's so let's play this and then you can you can comment on this clip and tell people what you think is important about the clip my name is aaron i've been with facebook for two years now and i'm a product policy manager what does your job entail we're part of the team that writes the rules for facebook if something violates our standards for safety and security what facebook could should can do you and your team are faced with very important decisions, especially when it comes to content. There's very little agreement whether we should be 
leaving more content up, taking more content down with any particular rule or issue that we're looking at where something has come up where the rules are not 100% clear, we're not going to make everybody happy. How does your team work on that? Transparency is incredibly important in the work that I do. How do we think about the balance between harmful content and protecting freedom of speech? It's a balance. Does it ever make you feel uncomfortable to be put in a position where you're having to draw the lines? Yes, and I think it should make me uncomfortable and all of us who do this work. If 99% of the people are expressing themselves, sharing their family photos, exchanging ideas, and 0.001% are encouraging violence or spreading harmful content that can ruin the thing for everybody. These decisions can have real effects on people. We are developing rules and policies without regulation. We're really navigating that space as best we can. What's with that music? Yeah, and the beautiful lighting as well. I feel really calm. And even watching yeah. that, I'm yeah. looking at uh, that. And lots thinking, of images yeah, of hands. We got to focus on a lot, of, a lot of hand shots so you can <laughs> feel that emotion. It's actually like one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. It's so dystopian. <laughs> Just like everything about that. It's like they're talking about it, the, the aesthetic of it is like a commercial for sending your child to like a special preschool or something. But they're talking about like, like suppressing and censoring speech. And who was that lady? Like, who's that random lady? Is this like a news interview? Like, I don't understand. Where did she come from and who did she work for? Yeah, so that's weird. Right. I found that that's on the main Facebook website. So Facebook itself is choosing to present Aaron as the face of content moderation for its platform of 3 billion people. Crazy. I love it when Aaron says, you know, it's really important that uh, transparency is, is key here because at no point does he say, oh, by the way, I was one of the most senior CIA officials until two years ago when I quit the CIA to take this job, which again, is Facebook specifically recruiting from the CIA, or is there some sort of deal between the US government and with big social media companies? I suspect it's actually the latter, although I've got nothing to prove that. Now, I get it that this is kind of a new field and a lot of people maybe, it's kind of a small you know, uh, recruitment pool for these sorts of people who really know about cybersecurity issues like that. And some of the people might be you know, from the US government or from other governments. But it is absolutely ridiculous that you're going to choose uh, people from the CIA who have, you know, decades long history of not only planting false stories and putting out disinformation, but also overthrowing governments, running torture centers, uh, gun running, drug smuggling, all of this. They're going to be the moral arbiters of what's true and false. And Aaron, as I said, he's not some pen pusher at the CIA. He was so high up that he was actually writing President Obama and President Trump's daily briefs every day. As his words were being read out to Obama and Trump every day in the Oval Office. So this is a guy who has gone from one of the highest uh, positions in what is quite possibly the most evil organization in the world and has jumped right into basically being the king of uh, content moderation at the world's biggest media company. This is dystopian in a way that is difficult to put into words, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, and beyond that, I mean, listen, like when it comes to people who work for the CIA, especially if you're higher level, you don't ever stop working for the CIA. Like it's one of those things that is a forever thing. Like all of these CIA directors or like, like former CIA people, analysts, NSA people who are like on TV, who are former, you know, former is always in their title. It's like, just because they're not there anymore, like it's like joining a club. It's a joining an ideology that you never leave and you spend the rest of your life promoting it.
So you're just like an ambassador for U.S. intelligence. So like just because somebody leaves doesn't mean they're done with their work. And I think you're absolutely right. Like there must be, I mean, we'll find out at some point, I hope, who knows when, but I'm sure there's like been strategy sessions at these intelligence agencies. Like, okay, social media is actually going to challenge our ability to project American power if we don't like control it. So how do we control it? And this is one of those ways. It's not an accident. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started noticing this basically around 2018 when, when Mark Zuckerberg was hauled before Congress and pulled up before the Senate and really read the Riot Act to the point where there were even politicians seriously talking about breaking up Facebook and putting Zuckerberg in prison for what he'd done in, um, in pushing uh, misinformation around the world. And suddenly, just a few weeks later, Zuckerberg comes out and says, hey, everybody, Facebook is now partnering with the Atlantic Council, which is NATO's think tank run by people like Henry Kissinger, Condoleezza Rice. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's who's going to be in charge of our content moderation now. I don't think those two things are unrelated. But, you know, quite frankly, Aaron Berman's not even the worst CIA person who works at Facebook. Uh, until 2013, Scott Stern was a targeting officer at the CIA. He actually rose to become the chief of targeting for West Asia for the CIA. What does that mean? He was literally deciding who was getting droned every day in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. And he's gone from that to becoming, um, uh, to becoming uh, a targeter of misinformation and malicious actors on Facebook. Are we really to believe that? I mean, even by the CIA's own documents, it says that more than 90% of the people they killed in these drone strikes were innocent civilians. So if he's got that sort of rate, you know, killing people, he's probably going to have an even worse rate zapping people from the internet. And again, it's not just uh, Facebook where this is happening. There was a former global intelligence manager who was actually chief of targeting for the Near East region for the CIA called Jamie W, who now works uh, uh, as the director of threat assessment for Google as well. So it's not just Facebook that this is happening. It's also not just the CIA. As I said before, the FBI, the NSA, the White House, there are so many state officials and spooks now running these departments, specifically the politically sensitive ones, which actually decide what people see and don't see, that this is just, uh, you know, it can sound like a conspiracy theory if you actually look at it. But when, you know, these people are very real, you can just look them up on Google and start seeing their information. There's plenty of websites which just detail how, you know, saying, yes, I was a CIA agent, and now I work for Google, etc. And they're so brazen about it. They don't actually see that there's any problem with this because they don't see organizations like the CIA as part of the problem. They actually see them as the main part of the solution to this uh, misinformation crisis that we're in. Mm -hmm. I have a couple examples so people can see what some of these profiles are. And, and it's going to be clear that I picked them for their ridiculous nature. But uh, there are admirable efforts. Something you said made me think that there's a connection that isn't normally made that we probably should be making, which is we see these admirable campaigns by some people among the progressive left to challenge um, the fact that antitrust laws are not being enforced against Facebook, like the, the monopoly, the, the, the sort of stranglehold that these companies have. But what you're saying makes me believe that it's not really necessarily a capitalism issue that might be standing in the way of antitrust as much as maybe there's a CIA interest in 
keeping this company as big and massive as it is in the world. So it can have this dominance as though they do have an easy way to control uh, information. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that before I put up a couple profiles, but do like, we don't normally think about the national security state interference in this. It's always thought of as like a money issue and there's power and that's probably real, but it seems like the reason why we're not going to break up these companies that have so much control over our stuff and what people get to see, there is the spook factor. Yeah, I guess a lot of people say the United States doesn't make anything in anymore, but it does make three very specific things which are absolutely crucial to controlling the world's economy. Number one, it's food. They have enormous control over this food supply. You know, you go anywhere between like California and the East Coast and you'll be granted, you'll see these enormous cornfields full of soy, full of wheat, etc. that is feeding the world. So that's number one. That gives somebody a huge... Uh, you know, grip on another country if they can just turn off the food on and on again. Actually, John Pilger, uh, the documentarian, made a great documentary about this 50 years ago called Zap the Weapon is Food, which is definitely worth watching. Uh, the second thing is the weapons supply. They still make, they're still by far the number one uh, producer of weapons in the world. Again, they can funnel weapons to their uh, client regimes and keep them in power or funnel weapons to certain groups in enemy countries to try to overthrow that government. So again, controlling the weapons supply is very important. And third, the means of communication is very much controlled by the US government. The internet, as we know it, really came out of the US Army and the DARPA net in the 1960s and 1970s and really got developed in the 1990s to the point where the US government has so much control over the means of communication that it really has the ability to spy on and eavesdrop on whoever it wants in the world. And again, that gives it an enormous influence around the world that it otherwise wouldn't have. So even as the United States economy starts to like crater in and this feels like it's a shell of itself, there's no manufacturing going on really, it still has, it still maintains control of these three areas, which gives it an enormous influence uh, overstated around the world even today. Yeah, I, um, oh, go ahead. Well, if you don't mind me, you you, you can add, but I... What is this? Okay, so Alan, you found this guy. You said this was your one of your favorite profiles. I just had to allow you the opportunity oh to tell us about pondering allyship. Yeah, I mean, this guy is, uh, I think he works in social media, but you know, like he moonlights as this uh, extremely progressive, super woke guy. His name's Corey Ponder. He's got a podcast about pondering allyship where he talks about how it's good. How can we work closely with, uh, you know, people and, and center indigenous voices or POC voices and how, how, you know, how we can really move forward as a society. And yet you would not believe the job he had before doing this. Okay, so I can't really, we can't really see it, but he was a senior targeting analyst. What? Oh yeah. my god! And he was a lead data analyst, and he was a liaison officer. That's wild. I'm sorry. Leave that yeah. up. I've got to make the screen bigger. That is. <laughs> how is that real? Wow. And he was That's doing this lot. from 2012 to 2015. That's yeah. right. What? Now I would say that targeting analysts are not always the people who are choosing uh, the drone strikes. 
but quite often they are. So we, we're not really sure without actually talking to him about what he specifically did. But um, yeah, there's definitely a chance that he was uh, deciding which uh, wedding parties they need to get droned that day. And now he's gone into that. It really underlines just how much the national security state has tried to adopt the woke language. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the sort of uh, the CIA recruitment ads about, you know, I'm a Latina woman of color and I have imposter syndrome, et cetera. But it really, you know, goes to show how blatant and how brazen this organization is, as if we didn't need to know that already. I'm going to have another example. Go well, ahead, Rania. Well, I know I just wanted to say, like, you know, when I am choosing who to target for, like, execution from the air, I often ponder if I'm being a good ally. Like, I just, <laughs> how do you, I mean, wow. I mean, when I go, when wow. I go to waterboard the detainee I have for information, mm -hmm. I want to let them know that. I, I, I'm, I'm a straight cisgender male. I just want to make sure you he knows where I am. I want to know where he is. I'm, I want you to know I'm on the spectrum, like where I am. Well, I just want, I just want them to know that I acknowledge my privilege before I like make them feel like they're drowning for the next hour. <laughs> Like, what is happening? Okay. Yeah, before, you, before you send that missile over, you say land back. That's how it is. Yeah, land back. <laughs> Fuck. Here's another amazing one. I mean, I, I just had to appreciate what goes into this profile uh, because Nick Lovrian, who is this information security officer, who's actually, you know, in a position that you'd expect the CIA would be in for, for what it's worth. Um, it it kind of makes sense that there's a revolving door. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying it just seems more plausible than some of these other guys. But so he's a chief security officer at, at, at Facebook or Meta. And he's got that rainbow around his profile picture for those of Love you that. who are just listening. And uh, he lives in California and he's got all these hashtags there of, uh, of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I just, I couldn't leave this alone. I had to just, I had to just let you know that he did a post for Juneteenth oh, nice. <laughs> and he, and he did this design and you know, it, it very much looks like, you know, your mind is going to be controlled by meta if you look at it too closely. Yeah, and, I can't, I'm looking away because of that. I'm like worried. This is like a brainwashing scheme. And then you, you can't really read this, but it's just, I wanted to let people know he did a, a Juneteenth reflection because he's got to make sure that everyone knows his allyship. And he, you know, he says, this day marks a foundational moment in our country. And it also focuses on the ideals of freedom and equality for all, and yada, yada. Uh, but seemingly not acknowledging that only in the last year or two have we even had this as a federal holiday, which says a lot about the United States and so on and so forth. But you, it seems like that's a standard for these uh, CIA people who are working for these companies. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, a lot of people say, oh, you know, people don't understand the CIA. It's actually very liberal inside. And, you know, that might even be true that people are very liberal, but we have to face the fact that liberalism is entirely compatible with the most uh, gross forms of colonialism and imperialism and yep. torturing other people and destroying other countries around the world. That's been clear for the last, well, how even, you know, where, how long do you want to go back? But clearly liberals have been every bit as willing to bomb brown people as conservatives. And so, you know, perhaps uh, we have to start about thinking about what liberalism has turned into in the United States. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. This idea, because I mean, historically speaking, it's like, it's like what was the mentality of certain colonizers was they had you know gave themselves this sort of like um, civilizing mission, right? It, what is that if not liberalism? What is yeah. what is that if not bringing democracy? And you know they used to be oh you know they're savages and we have to help them civilize and help them develop because they're backwards and don't understand. It's not that different from we have to go like and you know bring democracy and help human rights, right? Help bring human rights at the you know and at the barrel of a gun um and like help teach the iranians not you know not to hate gay people like these sorts of you know things that you'll hear from liberals um are very much in keeping with that mentality so i think that's a really good point yeah and who is, yeah one who's barack obama barack obama is the perfect illustration the first black president and yet the pioneer of the assassination complex it always uh enrages me to see how many people in the West start to condemn uh, backward countries in the East, for instance, or the global South or whatever you want to call it, um, for things that they only started signing on to about 15 years ago themselves. Like Hillary Clinton, up until 2010 or later, was actually actively campaigning against gay marriage. And now she'll come out and say, well, you know, we have to stay in Afghanistan because, you know, what will happen to all the LGBT people or whatever. It's just extraordinary how they're able to do this, just turn on a dime and start talking like this. I could never do something like that where I could just be that bold and flat out lie to people, but it really is, seems par for the course now for uh, people in Washington. Yeah. And you hear that from Republicans too. That's how they uh, attack the Iranian regime too. They'll talk about- uh, Which is so funny coming yeah. from them yeah. because Republicans hate gay people. Like actually <laughs> openly, they're like, we want to take away all your rights. And then they're like, but, they, but we have to go to Iran to save them. It's like, you can't have it both ways. And also, like, I don't know, Republicans definitely use that same language, but Democrats are more into the whole human rights uh, industrial complex, if you will. Whereas Republicans will use that, but they're also just unabashedly nationalistic. And like, we just have to go in because America. Like, it's as simple as that, you know? I mean, I guess this thing goes back hundreds of years, though. I mean, British imperialists used to talk about, well, we have to take over India to save the women from the practice of thuggy, which was a rather obscure thing that some women did where uh, they would throw them to themselves on the top of their husband's funeral pyre. Or we have to, you know, protect women in, in Egypt from the, you know, the, thug the thuggery of, you know, Muhammad Ali Pasha or whoever. And it just keeps on going. There's always an excuse to intervene, and it it's always the excuse that makes us look really good. And of course, we, we have to protect. We have to. We have to protect the women. Sorry, I was just gonna add. We have to protect the women of Egypt by then going and supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, who like, <laughs> who's not a fan of women, or like going and supporting, you know, the Afghan women by like funding a bunch of people who throw acid in their faces for going to school. Like, it's just anyway. Continue. Sorry. Well, so if I could throw one last question at you, Alan, before we wrap, I think it's important for you to say some words about Twitter and and the role it plays. Uh, but there is also something that, uh, you know, maybe you can connect Twitter to this, because what we see with this, uh, with mainstream journalism today is this genre of reporting that I think is living and, and, and is... Uh, vibrant because of this work that the security agencies are doing through these fact-checking organizations or through facilitating and fostering these fact-checking organizations where now you know you me rania uh friends and colleagues 
like Manar and others wake up and find that the Daily Beast has wrote, written a profile about them and claim to know about their work. And they're telling people that this is what this person believes and who they know. And they're trying to out you as um, being pro-Putin or being uh, uh, you know, connected to the Chinese state government or the Chinese Communist Party or whatever. And uh, it does seem like that has like a harmony to this ecosystem that you're exposing here, which, you know, is very real on Twitter. You know, all these journalists that I'm implicating here, they develop their viewpoints about us through their interactions on Twitter. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I basically try really hard not to get kicked off Twitter by being too argumentative with anyone but yeah, for sure, there's there's a whole cadre of journalists now who exist basically to attack genuine anti-war, anti-imperialist, progressive sentiment, which is uh, trying to be built. And, you know, we even have some of the documents now about it. But basically, there are all of these think tanks which come out with reports talking about how, you know, you're either you know, Putin's puppet or, uh, you know, if you go a bit further back, it would be, you know, a friend of Gaddafi or even further back, you'd be, you know, Saddam Hussein's mouthpiece or something. None of this is entirely, none of this is true at all. I mean, I'm about as tediously woke as it's possible to be. And I don't support any of these governments for any reason, really. But um, it doesn't matter because, you know, if they throw enough, uh, you know, stuff at the wall, then some of it will stick. And ultimately, people can use that as an excuse not to work with you or not to book you or, you know, uh, you can just, you know, develop a really bad reputation to the point where you become kind of unemployable anywhere. And that's really the point. They're trying to sort of sideline and marginalize genuine anti-war, anti-imperialist critiques in favor of a sort of extremely soft, uh, soft left, which can really be like, uh, you know, worked into the sort of general US-led uh, global order. Ultimately, some people who are, you know, maybe agree with us on, you know, healthcare or something, but ultimately really don't see anything wrong with the United States bombing another country every couple of years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've all been the targets of these people. I think they've existed for a long time, but it's certainly a way to, like, increase your um, ability to move up in the very competitive uh, and shrinking world of media of mainstream media. And there's so many of these people based in the Middle East. Like they literally exist just to attack. And, and I don't know what they're doing there. And they all look the same, by the way. There's a look they have. Like there's, it's the Bellingcat look. I don't know if that, if you guys know what I'm talking about. There's a look. They all look the same. They all have like these weird baby faces. And it's like they were like created in a laboratory um, just to like obsessively attack people like us. But yeah, it's like what they live to do. And sometimes you wonder, like you wonder, are you doing this because you really believe in this stuff and you want to advance your career? Or are you like collaborating with, I don't know. I don't know. Like there's a history of the state attacking the left and anyone who's good at like challenging empire. So I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know if I'm sounding conspiratorial here, but. No, I mean, I feel the same way as you, Rania, and I'll, I'll let you ha uh, get, have the final word. Alan, uh, before we sign off, uh, and thank you for contributing and, and making this possible to talk with you about your fine work. But you see someone like Josh Rogan uh, pen an op-ed with the headline that we can take on Russia and China at the same time, no problem. It's not going to be 
uh, a thing that the U.S. empire has to worry about at all. And you you have to believe that uh, the worst part about it is he genuinely thinks that that's true. Oh, he does uh, for sure. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I don't know. Alan, anything else you want to add before we go? Yeah. I mean, it is conspiratorial, but there is an enormous amount of fraternization between the national security state and the fourth estate. And that has been the way in the United States since the very beginning. Uh, Operation Mockingbird uh, exposed the fact that the CIA had 400 people working in newsrooms across America. Right. But now it's much more blatant to the point where, you know, we have the emails, for instance, between Ken Delanian, who was at the time working for the LA Times as a national security reporter. He was sending his stories to the CIA for them to edit them and send them back to the point where they were essentially ghostwriting his stories. And when this came out in The Intercept, there was a little bit of a hoo-ha, but was Ken Delanian kicked out of the journalism industry for good, you know, exposed, was it? No, he got promoted. He's now on television doing the same thing, I think at NBC. So he's got to the point, that's how you climb the career ladder. And not only that, if you turn on cable news, you are guaranteed within five minutes to see somebody who used to be high up in the FBI or the NSA or the CIA. It doesn't matter whether it's Fox, MSNBC or anything in between. It's now just become standard for have all of these talking heads like Jim Clapper or John Brennan on there. And even if you look at the anchors, there's all these people who applied to be a CIA agent like Tucker Carlson or Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, whose dad is literally the big new Brzezinski, who's like the Democrat version of Henry Kissinger, this war planner who killed God knows how many people. And this is just normal here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're, if all you know is uh, if you're a fish in a, in a little uh, goldfish bowl swimming around, you'll never really know what wet feels like because it's just normal to you. And that's yeah. kind of what I feel like with the system right now. It's so uh, so lacking in genuine integrity to the point where, you know, you just don't know where to begin. All right, Alan. So tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, sure. You can find me uh, writing at mintpressnews.com. You can follow me on Twitter as well. That's Alan R. McLeod. Or you can also follow me on Instagram, alan.r.mcleod. And that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another show.